through the, the uh, book of Philippi, Philippians rather, from the city of Philippi. And uh, t- today, we're mainly going to look at verse 6, but the, the text we're looking at is verse 6, six through 8. It's all part of the salutation. These are still Paul's greetings, and it is a greeting that is basically a prayer of thanksgiving, and he's, he's really kind of hitting some of the things that he's going to be dealing with in depth in this epistle, in, in this letter. And um, just to give you a little bit of background, you might remember that on Paul's second missionary journey, um, he got the Macedonian call, and that's what got him over into Europe. And the first city he went to was Philippi, and uh, he preached the gospel, people got saved, the church was established, and then he moved on. Then he went to, um, to Thessalonica. And, of course, we have the book First and Second Thessalonians, two books that were letters to them. Well, 11 years after that, first, that second missionary journey, after his trip to Philippi, 11 years later about, he wrote the book of Philippians. Now, this is one of the prison epistles, which means that Paul was in prison. He was actually in house arrest in Rome, and he was writing to the Philippians. And uh, what started and probably was the impetus to him writing was that the Philippians had done something again, which they had done several times. They sent a financial gift to Paul. Um, and it had happened uh, first that when you piece together what Paul says in all the epistles, that apparently as soon as Paul left Philippi, and most believe uh, because of what he was teaching and his philosophy, that he never asked for money of the Philippians. And, and you know, he established very clearly that they that, live of the, uh, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. In other words, it's proper for God's people to remunerate the shepherd who's doing the work of the ministry. So when Paul goes to Thessalonica, it was a whole different, the, the, the culture of Thessalonica, it was a, a colony in Rome, and it was established, it had uh, this, if you remember, we preached through First uh, Thessalonians. They had what's called the, the patron-client relationship, and because of the way the economy was, with the nobility in a sense, and you had your class system, there were believers in Philippi who did not work. And Paul was, a, and, and he, hit, he hit that hard in both of his epistles to the Thessalonians. But because of that, he refused to take or even ask for an offering from the Thessalonian believers. Instead, he did tent making. He made tents on the side to, to, to make income. But he, he, and whatever he couldn't, you know, whatever the tent making didn't supply and he did have some needs, he just prayed. And the first time God answered that prayer was a financial gift that came from the Philippians. Now, these, guys, these people had just gotten saved within the last few months. You know, definitely within the last half year, they just, just got saved. They were babes in Christ. And they loved Paul so much, they sent a financial gift while he was in Thessalonica. Then later on, and, and by the way, Philippi, Thessalonica and Philippi are about 100 miles apart. And they did not have Uber, Lyft, or cars. <laughs> they didn't have that. So, you know, they, they sent a group pretty far to give this money to help Paul. Then later, Paul ended up going even further to Corinth, which was about 300 miles from Philippi. And guess what they did again? They sent him another financial gift. And now, here 11 years later, Paul's in Rome, 
in-house arrest, and they send him yet another gift, financial gift to help him out. And Paul is writing to explain, uh, ex- express his gratitude. Uh, in chapter 4, he'll get real precise about it, uh, thanking them for the gift. And then he says, not, not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. We're going to talk about all that down the road. But what Paul says now in verse 6, some people believe, because uh, he's going to talk about God beginning a good work in you and performing it until the day of Christ Jesus. So the question is, in fact, look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the question is, what's the good work? And some people think, well, it's, it's the financial gift that they just sent him, and he's writing this letter to say thank you. And certainly... When you read all of the book of Philippians, that's definitely one of the reasons he's writing them to thank them. But when you study this text, it's a whole lot more than that. You know, the good work that God began in them uh, was not simply a financial gift. We're going to look, in fact, here's the outline, and I'm just going to jump right in. We're going to look at three points over the next half hour or so, and that is number one. How God begins his good work. How did he begin it in the Philippians? How did he begin it in you? Did he begin it in you? And then secondly, um, how or when God will finish that good work. If God began a good work in you, he will finish it. That's what Paul says. No doubt about it. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about when he's going to finish it. And by the way, it's not yet. So he's not done. In fact, the title of the message is, and it's from a song, but I've never heard the song, but I've heard, certainly heard the, the phrase, uh, God's still working on me. Who, who could sing that for us right now? No. Uh, have, how many of you have heard of that song, or at least that phrase? Okay, one person. All right. Well, apparently there's a song called, God's Still Working on Me. And that's the title of the message, because if, if you're saved, God is still working on you. So I'm going to ask you later today uh, in the messages, is God working on you? In other words, did he begin that good work in you? If he did, then he's still working on you. And even if you're far from God, guess what? If you're a child of God, he's still working on you. He's still working on you. You may be fighting and kicking against the pricks like Paul, and and that's a different context kind of, but um, it is possible to resist the Holy Spirit. talk about that in a minute. Uh, But God is still working on you. And, uh, and then we're going to talk, if we have time, uh, what Paul believed about the Philippians. So we have, you know, um, how God begins his good work, and then when God will finish it. And then in light of that, he's saying, this is what I believe, this process is what I believe has happened to you. And I hope it's happened to you as well. So let's jump in. Philippians chapter 1, how God begins his good work. Look at verse 6. Being confident. In other words, Paul's saying, I am convinced And it's going to be important because then verses 7 and 8, he emphasizes that he is convinced and and how much he loves them because of the love of Jesus Christ. And and that's what happens when God saves someone and God saves someone else. He gives us a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? You ever met a Christian that, like on a bus or something, you find out they're saved? You'll never see them again. But it's like, 
instantly, you look at that person and you say, that's my brother or sister in Christ. It's awesome. It is so awesome. Anyway, being confident. I'm convinced. Having been persuaded, I'm confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, how does God begin the work? The work that he did in the Philippians, how did he do it? And how does he do it in everyone that he's doing a good work in? Well, I'm going to go back. If you want to turn there, you can turn to Acts chapter 16. Let's go back. We're going to, through our study in Philippi, Philippians, excuse me, we are going to go to Acts 16 now and again. Because that, that was 11 years ago uh, from when Paul's writing this. Uh, about 49, 49 AD or so when the church got started. And then 11 years later he would write this letter. And so how did God begin the work in Philippi in their lives? Well, look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 12. This is now Paul's second missionary journey. And it says, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. In other words, Philippi was the capital of a country called Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside. Now, this would normally be where we would read, he went into a synagogue and preached the gospel. Because he did that, that was his thing, to the Jew first. But there was no synagogue to go to in Philippi at this time. Because there were not the required amount. There needed to be so many Jewish men in a particular city in order for them to establish a, a, a synagogue. Most of, most of those that were Jews and following Yahweh uh, were women at this place. And so instead of going into the synagogue, they went out of the city by a riverside, verse 13, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, verse 14. And a certain woman, woman named Lydia. Now here's the first Jewish, or excuse me, the first European convert to Christianity in that first century since the church began on the day of Pentecost. She would be the first European convert. How did Lydia get saved? You know, how did God do it? Well, let's look at verse 13. And on the Sabbath he went out of the city where prayer was wont to be made, sat down and spake unto the women, verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. Now here's the key, beginning with heard us. Here is how God began a good work in her, and then it would end up being in the rest... Anyone that got saved during that second missionary journey in Philippi, same thing happened to them. Jesus said this in John chapter 5 and verse 24. He that heareth my word, I've been quoting this a lot, I love this verse. He that heareth my word, here's how simple salvation is, but here's how it works. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me and goes to church and gets baptized. Oh, wait a minute now doesn't say that this is important here's the formula for someone getting saved he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath has everlasting life that's it you get saved the moment you believe the gospel 
And then Jesus said, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. At that moment, the moment we believe, God does a great work in transforming us and saving us. And many of us didn't even feel it. Now, the reason I say that is because some people feel it. I mean, salvation, when people get saved, sometimes it is very emotional. And, and, and God bless the people. You know, if you've been way, uh, you know, wandering away from the Lord and God saves you, and he saved you, especially from a reprobate life, or you just, you know, you realize how, how worthless you are, and God loved you and saved you, it can be emotional. But that's not what saves you. He didn't say, he that heareth my word gets emotional and believeth on him that sent me. No. Some of us, we just, we, God worked in us. He convicted us. We realized we were a sinner. We're like, God, save me. And there are no emotions. That's, emotions aren't what save you. Believing is what saves you. And at that moment, you are passed from death unto life. Now, there are certain, these elements, first of all, the Bible says in Romans um, 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Nobody gets saved apart from hearing the word of God, the gospel. So let's see. How did the good work begin in Lydia, this first convert in Philippi? Look at verse 14 again. Uh, Acts 16 and verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, so she was a believing Jew, she worshipped Yahweh, and then look at the next two words, heard us. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You don't get saved apart from hearing the scriptures. You, you don't get saved by having a religious experience. If you've not heard the gospel, if you've not been convicted of your sins, she heard us. And then look at the next word phrase, whose heart the Lord opened. He which hath begun a good work in you. This is how he began the work in Lydia. Lydia heard the gospel. And then it says that she attended unto the things which were spoken. In other words, guess what? She believed. That's the idea. The Lord spoke to her heart. She saw her need of the Lord. And that's it. She believed. And she got saved. That's it right there. She was saved. That moment, she was passed from death unto life. That's how God began the good work in her. And that's how God began the good work in you. You say, but I wasn't sitting by a river when Paul came. Well, Paul didn't even witness to you, probably, unless you read one of his epistles. But you got saved by either hearing or reading a track or the Bible, but you, you heard the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You understood that you were a sinner, and you believed. And guess what? At that moment, God began a good work in you. Now, by the way, there is this aspect of something called the wooing of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said, no man can come to, to me unless the Father draw him. Have you ever heard of the wooing of the Holy Spirit? Before you got saved and, and somebody witnessed to you, the Lord was drawing you to himself. But, Stephen made it very clear in Acts chapter 7 and 8. When Stephen preached, he, he said to some of the Jews, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. 
So when we talk about this good work that God has done, that work begins the moment you respond to the gospel. So the Spirit of God wooing us, drawing us, but like Stephen said, you can resist the Holy Spirit. And so this idea of God begins a good work in you and you will finish it only applies to people who have responded to the gospel. So you can resist the wooing of the Holy Spirit and, and, and then this doesn't apply to you. There comes, in fact, God's, the Bible says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And, and there are times, folks, when, when God, somebody hears the gospel and they get hardened. And there are times when God will say, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to try anymore. That's a scary position to be. But this work that God begins happens the day you respond to the gospel and are born again. So have you been born again? Because that's everything. Now maybe God's just drawing you right now. Maybe the Spirit of God is wooing you and you're starting to think about spiritual things and you're, you're considering these things. But when you respond, remember what Jesus said, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. In other words, you were coming into condemnation. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3? Uh, he that believeth in me shall um, will be saved. But then he talks about the condemnation that came into the world because men believe not. So those who don't believe are under condemnation. But when you get saved, you're no longer, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So I want to ask you something today. God began a good work in Lydia. And then God began a good work in the, in, the, in the girl that was the sorcerer. Then God began a good work by saving the Philippian jailer. And there's a whole bunch of other people in the, church, in, the, in the city of Philippi that got saved from Paul's preaching that became the recipients of this letter. Because what God did in, to Lydia, her heart opened, she attended, she believed. God did it again and again and again. Has God done that in your life? Have you attended to the gospel and been saved. Because if you have, if you believed in the Lord, then God began a good work. Now I'm not asking you, are you on fire for Jesus? Are you going out and just, you're living for Him 100%. You're praying for 20 hours a day, and you're memorizing the Bible for 10 hours a day. I know that's impossible. But you get the idea, you're just on fire for God. Well, maybe you're not. In fact, maybe you've strayed from Him. But if God began a good work in you, Jesus said um, in John, he said, I give unto them eternal life, and, they shall, and no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. When you get saved, God begins that good work in you. And by the way, we recently, I'll just share this real quickly. It's a couple weeks, a couple Wednesdays ago, I, I was in 1 Thessalonians. Maybe it was a month ago. Maybe it was two months ago. Sometime recently. And there's a verse in Philippi, uh, in Thessalonians that I love. And, and a couple weeks ago during prayer meeting, this is what stuck out in my mind. Paul wrote to the, the Thessalonians and he said, um, he said, uh, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because that when you, you heard the word of God, which you, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which, and then he said this, 
which effectually worketh also in you the belief. I was sharing this with Mr. Kerr, uh, because I knew that this week, because I knew I'd be sharing it with you, that the awesome thing about this this verse, that that last statement just jumped out at me a couple weeks ago. He's saying, in in fact, he's saying in that verse, he's saying, um, For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it, as the word of men. Or you didn't receive it as the word of men. They accepted the Bible. They accepted the gospel. Not as just the word of men. And by the way, when, when you're preaching the gospel, it, that can be a stumbling block. It, 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 how many people have you ever heard say, um, you can't trust the Bible. It's written by men. There's so many errors in it. Heard a good response to that recently. Because so many people use that. I don't believe anything in the Bible because it was written by men. There's so many errors. Here's a good question to ask them. you have any books in your library? Yeah. Oh, you do? Were they written by men? Well, yeah. Oh, so you don't, you don't believe anything in the books that you read because it was written by men? Well, no, no. You know, there's a, there's a contradiction there. Now, is not God, the God of heaven, able to give us a book written by men that is his supernatural word? Absolutely, and that's what he's done. But that's a lame excuse. And Paul is writing and he's saying, I'm so thankful that when we preach the gospel to you, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, as it really is, the word of God. And then he said this, which effectually worketh also in you the belief. In other words, he's talking about, this is just like what happened to the Philippians. They heard the word, they got saved, God began a good work in them, but then this phrase, which effectually worketh also in you means... He's saying, he's saying this to the Thessalonians, and it's still working in you. God's word is still working in you. And to the Philippians, God's word is still working in them. And if you're saved, God's work, God's word is still working on you. He, he began a good work, and he's not going to let up. Now that might mean some difficult times if you're not really close to him. He has his way of... of um, Knocking on our door. In fact, listen to this verse. Chastening. You ever heard of chastening? You know not everybody's chastened of the Lord. Only Christians. Only people that he began the good work in. You say, oh man, sometimes I wish, don't ever wish that you were not saved. Listen to, listen to what Hebrews 12 says in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You know what that means? God only chastens certain people. It's the ones he's received. It's the ones he's begun a good work in. Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons or children. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And he goes on. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers... In other words, every person that's born again is under God's parental program like a parent chastens their son. And, he, and what he says there, if you're not in that category, then you're, not, you're an Ill- illegitimate child. You are not a child. Or you're not a son of God. So, here's the thing. He which began a good work in you, even if you're like far from God, and there's a lot of people, maybe some listening online, that they made professions of faith. They came to the Lord, and maybe it was genuine, 
Uh, and if so, God is still working on you. And uh, he's not going to let you go. If you're his child, and, and if you've been walking away from the Lord, or you haven't been fellowshipping with God, he's probably making you miserable. I can't tell you how many people have come back to church who have been away from the Lord, and they say, I was miserable the whole time. And you know what? That's a blessing. Not because I do not like people and I can't. Yeah, good. You deserve it. No. Because that's God's love. That's his love. He won't let us go. And when you and I get saved, he's still working on you. And it's going to come to a culmination. So let's get to that. Let me real quickly. I, I, I'm probably going to get two points done today. But there's a guy who was a pastor who wrote this, the Christmas song, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. His name was Philip Brooks. And he was a, a pastor in Boston, Massachusetts for many years. And he was a great godly man. And uh, as any pastor, as the years went on, he got busier and busier. And um, towards the end of his life, he, uh, he was so busy. But um, he always seemed relaxed and unburdened and willing to talk to anybody. And so a young Christian, a young man, wrote to him shortly before he died. And he asked what the secret of his strength and serenity was. And he got a heartfelt response from Pastor, from Pastor Brooks, crediting his still-growing relationship with Christ. Listen to what he said. So he's, he's now mature. He's on in the Lord. He, he's super busy, but just has give the time of day to anybody. And he had a certain calmness. And here's what he said. He said, the more I have thought it over, that question the more sure it has seemed to me that these last years have had a peace and fullness which there did not used to be. So he, he wasn't always that way, but God was still working on him. And he's still working on him. He hasn't died yet. He said, it is a deeper knowledge and truer love of Christ. I cannot tell you how personal this grows to me. He is here. He knows me and I know him. It is the most real thing in the world. And every day makes it more real. And one wonders with delight what it will grow to as the years go on. He ended up dying in, on January 3rd, 1893 at 57 years of age. But folks, that, that's a man that God began a work in and he continued that work until his dying day. In fact, that's what Paul's point is. Look again at Philippians chapter 1 being, and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. So what God began, and the question is, has he begun that work in you? Have you been saved? Have you been born again? That's the key. Doesn't matter what denomination you are, that salvation is a personal experience and a relationship with Jesus Christ by believing on the gospel. And if you've been saved... He began that good work in you. And he's not going to quit until the day of Christ Jesus. And um, one, one writer has called this idea, which is throughout the book of Philippians, throughout the book, he calls it an eschatological orientation. And he wrote, this eschatological orientation marks all true Christian life. In other words, and, and he gives examples. Let me just read to you what he, what he highlighted. Um, and by the way, eschatology comes from a Latin phrase which means last, last times, the end times. And it speaks of four things. 
Uh, eschatology is the de Department of Theological Science concerned with the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. So whenever someone's talking about eschatology, they're talking about the last things. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, you know, God began a work in you. He's going to complete it till the end. The day of Christ Jesus. And here, here's what the, the writer said. It's evidence, first of all, in the way Paul concludes his personal testimony in chapter 3, uh, verses 4 all the way to verse 14, the last two verses, Paul has an eschatological orientation. He's talking about heaven. It is evidenced in the appeal that follows for them to do the same, challenges them to have that same perspective. It, it's mentioned in a sad note about those who have not persevered and going on. It is mentioned in, uh, in the exalted passage of chapter 2, 9 through 11, called the Kenosis passage. He, um, over and over again, through, and we're going to look at this, Paul talks about forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. It's pressing toward heaven. That is our eschatological orientation. If you are saved, you are not to be looking back. You are to press on, forgetting those things which are behind, pressing toward heaven. Another writer said, believers in Christ are people of the future. Paul would write in Philippians, uh, he said, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior. That's chapter 3 in Philippians verse 20. Our conversation, we're seated in heavenly places even now. We are, we are indeed, believers are, um, in Christ, are people of the future. So what we're living right now, in light of the future, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through, uh, another song goes. So, I want to ask you something. Has God begun this good work in you? Because if He has... He will finish it. And here's the key. that This is what Paul is bringing out. And he's even going to say later in, in this letter, he's going to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But it's not up to us. In fact, as we look, when we look at that phrase, this is just God working His salvation out in us and us letting Him, basically. It's not all up to us. In fact, none of it's up to us other than the yielding. When it says... He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. He will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That means God finishes what he starts. Always count on it. If you're a child of God, he began that good work in you and he is going to finish it. What an awesome thing. Sadly, sometimes people run from God so much with no end in sight that they're going to give up or that they're going to turn back to the Lord. And there are some people that are definitely believers, but they become no earthly good. And God says, you know what? I think you'd be better off in heaven with me. Now that sounds so morose. But I want to tell you, there are people I have known that have made professions of faith and they've been so worldly for so long, they ended up dying premature. I remember one person went to their funeral, and based on this person's testimony, I'm convinced they were saved. 
And by the way, you know, when somebody wanders from the Lord so much, it's easy for people to think, I wonder if they're saved. And by the way, Paul, in, if, in fact, real quickly so I can get it in, verse 7 and 8, these things Paul is saying, you know, this work that God begins in saving someone, he's going to finish it. He's, he's, he's talking about what God does with born-again people. And then he says, it's like he's saying, I'm convinced that's what's happening in you because I've seen enough fruit. Paul is a fruit inspector. We need to be fruit inspectors. Look at verse 7 and 8. Even as it is meet or fit for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as in both, my, both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, in other words, all the help they've done with him preaching the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Paul has already seen so much evidence that the gospel has transformed their life. And he says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels, the deepest part of Jesus Christ, the affections of Jesus Christ. And so you and I, folks, we get to get to know who the saved people are because of their passion and the fruit. And, and he had seen enough in the Philippians to believe that they were genuinely saved. That's what he's talking about. And he's convinced God began a good work. And by the way, there was some trouble brewing. We'll get to this now. There was some trouble brewing that Paul would address. And some think in this early on, he's kind of preparing for that. But the bottom line is, he, he's, he's now going to treat them as if they're believers because he believes they are. And by the way, the similar writing is in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6, where he says, We are persuaded better things of you, things that accompany salvation. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. And, and so... God is beginning a good work in you, and God will finish it. But I want to ask you something. How, how does that work in our lives? Is it just a matter of let go and let God? Some people take that attitude. Well, I don't have to do anything. I just, you know, God, just take over God. Um, I got a letter. I got an email, actually, um, probably over a year ago from a, a dear, precious young man. Um, and he was asking for prayer. And this, I was on, like, it was a bulk mailing that he had set out. In fact, it might have been a letter now that I think about it. But he sent it, no, it was an email, because he sent it to multiple churches. He was, like, just trying to get as much prayer as he could. God bless him for that. But he said this. He said, I'm just going to read part of it. He said, pray, please pray for my mom. Mentions her name. Please pray for my mom's salvation. And pray for her healing. And I prayed. I've been praying a couple times for this, this guy, for his mom, for salvation, for her healing. And they say she lost her hearing, has memory loss, bad posture, body pain, and high blood pressure. Wow. She, he says, pray for excellent health. Pray for a long life for my mom. And I prayed that initially, and I thought, well, you know what? See, God's working in, in, God's first trying to draw her to salvation. Anyone, anyone that's unsaved, you know, because um, the Lord is, is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is working on people to draw them to, to Calvary to save them. So you know, the safest prayer for someone is, that's not saved is that God would draw them to himself and open their blind eyes to the gospel. So God uses these things. So, and, and a lot of times, you know, someone that's going through physical problems, it's God humbling them, trying to get them to realize, you need me. 
And so I stopped praying for excellent health and for a long life, and I just prayed, as I will often do, because I, I, that's obviously not God's will for everyone, or no one would ever die. So I pray, God, I pray that you would, I pray for healing, if it be your will, and then I pray you would show them your grace through the trials they're going through. Because remember, he which hath begun a good work in you, he's still working in you. And he's using these things. And then he said this. He said, um, for her, for his, he said, pray for the removal of debt and financial blessings and, finan- and financial security for my mom. So we pray, Lord, for removal of debt and financial security. Now these things God forces upon us. Listen, I know that you want to spend, and every time you get your paycheck, you have a, a hole in your wallet, and you just love to spend. But I'm God, and I'm going to intervene, and I'm going to get you out of debt whether you want it or not. And I'm going to give you financial security despite your decisions. Now, folks, when God, this work God's doing, he's working on us, and he's using this transformation, the sanctification, as we yield to him. And then he goes on. He says, and pray again for his mom. Pray that her possessions last a hundred times longer and will supernaturally become newer and repaired. I'd love to pray for that. But, you know, that kind of goes against the nature of what God is doing. You know? God bless him. He wants, he wants his mom to get saved, but he wants pray that her possessions last a hundred times longer and will be supernaturally become newer and repaired. That's not how God works. Remember what Jesus said? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. You know, one of the things God's doing in this work in us is he's teaching us to lay up treasure in heaven and not to get to not to get our roots too much in this earth. And, and, and so this this is um you know going against the idea of that, you know, don't lay up treasures on earth because here's the nature of things on earth. Moth and rust corrupts, thieves break through and steal. So God's not going to violate that. That's kind of like when someone says, Lord, you know, the idea of lead me not into temptation. Some can say, Lord, I pray that, you would, uh, that I would not have any more temptation. That's not the nature of the flesh. As God is conforming us to the image of Christ, this flesh lusting against the spirit, spirit against the flesh, this battle and sanctification as God works, it's his process. And he's not going to take away temptation. He's going to teach you how to resist temptation and grow you. So he's not going to violate the principles of nature and allow your house to um, never need dusting, to never, nothing will go out. Wouldn't that be great if like you, you, you know, when you get undressed at night, your, your clothes automatically clean, folded, and, and jumped into the drawer? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if when you're cutting the lawn, you knew I'm going to sell my tractor after this because this will be the last time I need to cut the lawn. You know, that you don't need... No, this idea of maintenance is part of God's working on this side of glory. And so, Christian, I want to challenge you. Don't miss the sanctification project that you are. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. First question I want to ask you, and here's the takeaway. 
Are you saved? Has he even begun that good work in you? Now, maybe he's drawing you to himself, but you've not yet gotten saved. You're not his child. You're not, you've not been regenerated. You're not born again. You don't have the Spirit of God in you. And so you're not his workmanship in creating Christ Jesus until you get saved. But if you've gotten saved, he which began a good work in you, he's going to perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Maybe you're far from the Lord and your life has been miserable because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son or daughter whom he receiveth. Like the person I mentioned that passed away at an early age, I found comfort in the fact that I believe she was saved. That was the the question at the time. Was she really saved or not? You know, God took her, and then at the funeral, I'm like, you know what? I think she was saved, and God just took her home. And that's a blessing when you're not sure someone's saved or not. You know, when you, you, you end up saying, oh, this is clearly, like the, the, the um, didn't mention this. In Corinth, there were believers that were not taking their walk with the Lord seriously. The communion service, the Lord's table had become a party. And Paul said, for this cause, some of you are sickly, and some of you sleep. Some of them died. Now, that wasn't because God rejected them. It was just the opposite. God's like, okay, you know what? You're no more earthly. You're no earthly good. I'm just going to take you home it's for your own good. It's because God, God loves us. And then he could say, I began the good work, and I completed it in the day of Jesus Christ at our resurrection. So, takeaway. Are you saved? Has he begun that good work in you? Then if he is, he's going to fulfill it in the day of Christ Jesus. So let's start, just forget those things behind. Let's, let's keep looking to the future, because that's what it's all about. We are heaven-bound. Let's pray. Father, thank you.